John chapter 4 this morning. We're continuing our series that we started last week on rediscovering our awe of God, looking at the miraculous signs that John the Apostle recorded for us in his gospel. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 46. Last week, we looked at the sign of Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus healing this royal official's son. If you want to follow along, I'm actually going to begin reading this morning. I don't always do this before I speak, but I want to begin reading in verse 46 and just follow along with me down through verse 54. As we go through this passage this morning, you're going to see two primary things. You're going to once again be reminded of the authority and power of Jesus Christ, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. And then the response of faith that God is looking for in us as he is in our midst and as he's moving and working, and he's going to be looking for that same response of faith today with each of us. John chapter 4, verse 46, Now he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. In Capernaum there was a certain royal official whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus had come back from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come down and heal his son who was about to die. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my child dies. Jesus told him, go home, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and set off for home. While he was on his way down, his slaves met him and told him that his son was going to live. So he asked them the time when his condition began to improve, and they told him, yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that it was the very time Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed along with his entire household. Jesus did this as his second miraculous sign when he returned from Judea to Galilee. In rediscovering our all of God, one of the things that we, even as Christ followers, have to be reminded of is the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And hopefully that authority and power, the truth of that, will encourage each of us in some way today. All of Jesus' ministry was pretty much a demonstration of his authority and power. There are three instances in the Gospel of Matthew. First, where the, the people say that they heard him speaking and delivering messages from the Word of God. They said... They were amazed because Jesus taught them as one who had authority and not like the experts in the law. Even as Jesus spoke, his word carried with it authority and power. Jesus also had authority over evil spirits and over all sickness and disease. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says, when evening came, that many who were demon-possessed came to Jesus, and he drove out all the evil spirits with just a word. And then it goes on to say, and all who were brought to him who were sick were made well. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. Do you believe today that Jesus has authority over all evil spirits and all over all sickness and disease? Amen. 
Then later on, it said that Jesus told his followers, his disciples, to get into this boat with them, and they were going to sail to the other side. You know the story very well. We're going to be looking at it a couple months from now. And Jesus gets in the boat, and he falls asleep in the back, and this great storm arises on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples, they're just all upset. They run to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, don't you care about us? We're about to die. And Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. And then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And the Bible says it was dead calm. Because Jesus not only has authority over all evil spirits and over all sickness and disease, he has authority over nature. And the Bible says, the disciples said, who is this that can even command the winds and the waves? And they obey him. Jesus also has authority and power over death. He came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And in John chapter 11, it says, the one who had died came out of the tomb. Don't miss that. <laughs> the one who had died came out of the tomb alive. Jesus has authority over death. In fact, Jesus even said in his ministry, do not marvel at this. There is coming a day where all who are in the tombs and graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and they will come forth at my command. He is the resurrection and the life. And then I love this story. Jesus has authority even over his enemies. You remember the time where they're at the Mount of Olives, and the Roman soldiers are sent to arrest Jesus. And they come, and Jesus actually goes up to them and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he says, I am. And the Bible says that they all just sort of like flew backwards and fell to the ground. And then Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, uh, Jesus the Nazarene, you know. Can you imagine? They had to pick themselves up off the ground just from the power of his word because Jesus wanted to clearly demonstrate, you're not taking my life, I'm laying it down. You have no authority over me unless it would be granted to you by my Father who is in heaven. So all through Jesus' ministry, we are seeing his authority over all of these things. Because he has authority over all these things, Jesus occupies the highest place in the universe. And you and I, even as Christ's followers, we need to be reminded of that because many times while we're living on earth, there are things that happen to us, and we may begin to doubt in some way that God truly has authority over all things. And the other reason we need to be reminded of Jesus' authority and power over all things is Jesus has granted us his authority and power as we go forth and make disciples in his name. He says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, all authority has been given to me. Now I want you to go in that authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. You and I go every day 
out of our house, get out of our bed, do whatever in the authority and power that Jesus Christ grants us. His authority and power. And we see it on display here in this passage of Scripture. I want to share four things with you, though, as we see this man's faith begin to emerge and then be expressed in Jesus Christ. And it goes through four stages. You see, first of all, a crisis faith, then a confident faith, then a confirmed faith, and finally a contagious faith. Let's begin back at verse 46, where it says, Jesus came again to Cana. He came once more. He came anew. Aren't you glad Jesus always comes back? I'm glad every Sunday that, that I realize that I come to the Oasis Church, that Jesus is willing to come back and meet with us again that he's not just a one-and-done God, that he's willing to always come back again and meet with his people. He does it every Wednesday night here. He does it every Sunday morning here. He does it throughout the week here, just as he does it in each of our lives here. Every morning, his mercies are new. Every morning, his faithfulness shows up. He always comes back around. You and I never have to worry about God not being faithful and coming back around and being renewing us in his love and in his faithfulness, in his care and his compassion. He's always willing to come back. He came back to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. In Capernaum, there was a certain royal official whose son was sick. Capernaum is about 13, 14 miles away from Cana. So remember that. That's important in this story. Because one of the things that's happening here is that unlike other times where Jesus healed somebody or did something, even like at the wedding in Cana, he was physically there. He was present at the time. Here, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be at a distance, and that's important in the development of this man's faith. This man, we are told in verse 46, is a royal official. He was a servant of the king, meaning he was pretty high up. Also meaning, then, that he would have had access to whatever kind of help medically or whatever, that he could give to his son. But you'll notice, obviously, that once he heard about Jesus, he wasn't trying to find help for his son, who was very ill and very sick, about to die, through any of the, what we would call, conventional means. He wasn't going to the to the king's physicians. He, he wasn't going, and maybe he had even tried and they had failed. No, no, he was at a crisis. He was desperate. He knew that he needed something and that everything that was in front of him was not going to help his situation at this point. He needed Jesus. There are some times in our life where God allows crisis to come into our life or desperate needs in order for us to be reminded, I need Jesus. Now, we always need Jesus. We, we need Jesus every second of every day. But many times, we can start to live life independently of Jesus. 
and sort of go on our merry way, as they say, and not really feel like we need to depend and rely upon him every moment for everything. So sometimes God goes, for their own good, I need to allow something to come into their life that's much bigger than them so that they'll realize, like this man, I can't turn to anyone else or anything else other than Jesus. Jesus, I need you. That's when faith begins to emerge. When you and I begin to live every day that way with, I need Jesus Christ. That, that is faith at its most basic and simplest form, is I need Jesus Christ. And that's where this man was. Because the Bible says in verse 47, in the midst of this crisis, when he heard that Jesus had come back from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. And why did he go to Jesus? Because he had heard about Jesus. And that's where the faith was beginning to be planted in this, in this man's life, to where it was like, I heard about this man, Jesus, and he can do things by his authority and power that I've never heard of before and I've never seen in my lifetime. And if no one else can heal my son, and, and, and let's put ourselves into this passage, because it's always good that we do that in order to really gain the impact. For any parents here today, would you not do anything you possibly could for your son or daughter? Absolutely. If you were in a similar situation, you, you, would, you would do anything to try to help your child at some point, especially in a situation like this. And so he hears about Jesus, and he goes to Jesus, and he begs him. He makes this earnest request of Jesus to come down and heal his son, to cure him, to make him whole, because he was about to die. Now, so you can see, as his faith is emerging, his faith is being expressed in that he believes at this moment in his life that Jesus is his only hope, his only answer and that Jesus has authority to be able to heal his son from whatever sickness, illness, or disease his son is suffering from. But he believes that Jesus at this point needs to be present to do it and that he needs to get there before he dies. Because as Jesus is going to show us later on, I have authority over death. And if I want to, I can even bring somebody back from the dead. But obviously, his faith hadn't got to that point yet. That's okay. His faith, though, was emerging and beginning to grow. I want to just stop for a moment and say maybe here today, you don't, are not in a similar situation like this man was, with a child or a son or daughter, but let's face it. Because of the year that we've had, you may be going through a crisis right now in your life of some kind. You may be experiencing some kind of desperate need. You may have run out everything that you could imagine to help you in your need, but nothing has helped. And I'm just here to tell you and to encourage you, come to Jesus. 
because Jesus has the power and authority either to change or work in your circumstances, or he has the power and authority to change you to be able to rise to the challenge of your circumstances and meet those requirements. Either way, you can't go wrong by coming to Jesus because Jesus has never failed. Nothing that Jesus has ever come up against or encountered is bigger or greater than Jesus. There's nothing that will ever come into our life that will cause Jesus to somehow wring his hands and go, I can't figure that one out. I don't have the wisdom to deal with that. I don't have the power to deal with that. I don't have the resources. Jesus never comes to that place. Jesus always has everything that's necessary to get his people through any crisis or desperate need in our life. What we need to do, like this man, is have the faith to be able to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. It'd be nice if we could get to the place where instead of exhausting all other resources and them not working out that Jesus is sort of our last resort, that we get to the place in our life where Jesus is our first resort. Jesus says to him, but he's also wanting everyone who's around this royal official to hear what he's saying. He says in verse 48, unless you people... See signs and wonders. In other words, with your eyeballs and experience it yourself, you will never believe. Jesus is simply calling them out in some way, but also encouraging them to believe in him, not just what they see, but what they can't see. Because that's what God asks of all of us not to just have faith to believe in what we can experience or see firsthand, what we can taste or touch or feel, but to believe in a God that we can't see, that we know that God is working even when we can't see him working or moving, and that we understand that he doesn't need to physically be in a certain place to have authority and power to speak into that situation and to intervene in that situation. Take us, for example, right now. His spirit is here. But he is also at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's not distant at all. He is very well aware of what's going on in each of our lives and what our needs are and what our situation is. And all Jesus has to do is speak a word from heaven, and it's done on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus wants something done on earth, that distance between heaven and earth does not somehow uh, keep him from getting accomplished what he wants accomplished in our life or in the life of anyone on this earth. He simply has to speak the word. If you have a crisis today, if you have a need today, I would encourage you, like this man, to come to Jesus and make your earnest request. But Jesus says, most of you, you're following me right now because of the things that you see. You've got to get to a place 
where you're willing to trust and believe and place your confidence in me, even when you can't see me or can't see what I'm doing. You've got to have that kind of faith. So notice, somewhere along the line, this royal official heard about Jesus and God began to plant seeds of faith in his life so that when he heard that Jesus was coming around and was close to Cana and in Cana and he was in Capernaum, he was going to make that 13, 14 mile journey up there to meet Jesus because he knew that Jesus was the answer. And as he began to interact and engage with Jesus, I believe his faith continued to emerge to the point where now notice in verse 50 or verse 49, sir, it's a word that means one who is supreme in authority. It is the Greek word kyrie. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my child dies. And Jesus told him, go home. Your son will live. He understands that Jesus has authority and power, but again, it needs to grow to a greater level. So Jesus basically is going to say, I want you to trust me here. I'm not going home with you. I'm not coming back with you. You may think I need to be there, but I don't. I'm Jesus. I have all authority and power. I do not need to go back to Capernaum with you. If I speak the word from 13 miles away that your son is going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Go home. Your son lives. And notice, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He trusted what Jesus said. He believed. He placed his confidence. He literally rested in the word of Jesus. As I said earlier, I love to put myself and, and put others into the Bible. I think this is a great verse to put our names in. Instead of saying the man, put your name in that verse in verse 50. Jeff believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Because that's the way you and I need to live every day. You see, faith emerges when we recognize we need Jesus. Faith then begins to be expressed when we take Jesus at his word. That's faith. Trusting Jesus. And just as some of you may be here today and may be going through something desperate in your life, a crisis in your life, and you need to call out to Jesus and make an earnest request, Jesus may be asking each of us in that moment, trust me. Rest in me. Believe in what I'm telling you and go home. I'm going to work it out. Now, I do want to say this. There are times where, like here in this story, Jesus immediately intervenes and changes something. And basically is saying to this man, trust me, by the time you get home, as we're going to see, you're going to hear that your son's okay. 
There's other times where Jesus is wanting to delay something for his greater glory and for our benefit or someone else's benefit, where he delays actually doing something to change the moment, maybe like in your life right now, but he's saying the same thing. Go home, keep going the way I want you to go, and trust me to work this out in time. Either way, God is still calling for us to have confident faith in him, to believe in the word that Jesus is speaking to us, whether it's to cling to the promises we already have in his word, whether it is to embrace what the spirit of God is saying to us. Either way, he's saying to us, rest in what I've told you or what I'm telling you. Go home. It's going to be okay. And that okay is either immediately things are going to change or in time things are going to change. But I need you to trust me. Are we there? Are we there? And that may be something that you and I find that we have to sort of recommit ourselves to every day. Okay, God, I'm back today, and I'm struggling to believe, but I'm asking you to give me, Lord, that, that faith that I need to keep trusting and resting in you, that in time, you're going to work this out. That's confident faith. Do we believe what we say we believe? You know, as Christians, we throw around a lot of stuff. I believe that, I believe that. But, but when it comes down to especially crisis, that's where our faith is really tested. That's even why this past year, though as Christians our faith can be strengthened, obviously during seasons of testing like this past year, these kind of seasons also reveal the kind of faith that's already there or whether it's there at all or whether there is no faith. Because when you and I are thrown into the sort of the furnace and that fire is heated up in our life, our life reveals where we're really at with God. Do we really trust him or not? And that to me is part of what this last year has been about. There's a lot of different things God is doing, but one of the things God is doing is showing up our faith. Do we really believe in him and trust in him or not? And are we going to use this time of testing to grow our faith? Because James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials because the testing of your faith does what? It produces good things like Christian character. Do we believe that? And then I love this at the end of verse 50. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and set off for home. He moved according to the word of God. God wants us always to be moving accordingly to his direction and to his word. Go home. You can only imagine what was going through that man's heart and mind as he turned and left Jesus in Cana and started to walk with his entourage back to Capernaum. Is he thinking, well... 
I hope things work out. I said I, said I believed in him, and I'm, I'm going to trust what this man says because I have great respect for this man, Jesus. But boy, he's asking a lot of me to just leave him, not take him back to my son, and just think that everything's going to be okay. But you know what? God honors faith. And God is just looking for us to place a little bit of faith in him because when he sees that we are going to do that, he will always confirm, affirm, or reassure us in our decision of faith in him. Notice how he does that with this man. In verse 51, Jesus doesn't want this man to wait till he makes that whole 13, 14-mile journey back to Capernaum from Cana. No, he has it arranged already that, that some of his people that probably serve him back in Capernaum are so excited about what happened to his son that they want to meet him on the road there. So it says while he was on his way down, and we don't know how far he got, but it says his slaves met him and told him that his son was going to live. That alone was like, thank you, Jesus. Because only Jesus could help him in this desperate situation. Then, interestingly, he asked, verse 52, what time did his condition begin to improve? And they told him, yesterday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father then realized that was the very moment that Jesus said, your son will live. See, God wanted to solidify that faith in him, basically saying, see, you can trust me. So that then... The next time something comes up in his life, guess what? He'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, I have this need. I need your help. And that that creates then that, that mechanism in our life where instead of exhausting all other resources and God being our last resource, when we have a need, we just go directly to God. Say, God, I need your help because that's where faith emerges. I need Jesus Christ. Faith expressed I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm taking you at your word. This is a knowledge, by the way, the word realized speaks about a knowledge that comes through personal firsthand experience. What's that tell us? We are fueled for life by our own faith and not the fumes of other people's faith. Why does God want you and I personally to get to places in our life where we personally have this experience and engagement with him, where we trust him for something, we see him working in it and through it, and it's confirmed because that strengthens our faith. You and I can't live off of the faith of others. We can't live off of the fumes of others. That, that will never be strong enough. It will never sustain us. The only kind of faith that will sustain us is a faith that is built through our personal, firsthand experience with God, which is why God calls us all to have a personal relationship and fellowship with him. And as you and I then personally place our faith in him, God will continually confirm that. 
And that's the why he calls us together, though, in a body. Why? Because God understands. My people are also encouraged when they hear other people's testimonies and stories about how faithful and, and dependable and reliable I've been through their times in life. And when we hear those things about how God showed up in other people's lives, it encourages us to trust God whenever we have needs in our life because we're thinking to myself, well, if God showed up for them and did that for them, maybe he'll do that for me. And that's part of why we need to have our corporate worship time and our fellowship time because we mutually can encourage each other by sharing the wonderful stories about our amazing God and what he's done in our life. I would encourage you today, if you're struggling in your faith, maybe it's because you're trying to live off somebody else's faith. That's why I always encourage parents Bring up your children to have their own faith in God because they can't live off of your faith as parents. That won't sustain them after they leave your home. They've got to develop their own convictions about things. And that's true for all of us. I can't live off of my friend's faith. I've got to have my own faith. I can't live off of my pastor's faith, our worship leader's faith, anybody's faith. I've got to have my own faith. And that's where this man was. But you'll notice then, because of his own powerful faith that was confident now, growing in confidence and being confirmed, it was a contagious faith. Because notice it says in verse 53 also that after he heard exactly when Jesus healed his son, and it was exactly at the time Jesus said, your son will live, that the Bible says he himself believed, meaning again, he came to an even greater belief, but it also means that he believed in Jesus along with his entire family. That's the kind of faith God ultimately wants to build. Not just a crisis faith, not just a confident faith, not just a confirmed faith, but a contagious faith. A faith that other people can see us living out. A, a faith where people look at us and go, how are you able to get through 2020 and keep your sanity? Because I'm trusting in Jesus. Because my hope isn't in anything of the world. My hope is in Jesus. Really? And, and when they see that kind of faith, their life is impacted and influenced. And they're drawn to our source of faith. They're drawn to our Savior, just like this man's family was drawn to Jesus by his faith. We can't live off of somebody else's faith, but we certainly can have our faith begin to be planted in us and ignited by someone else's faith. And again, that's why God doesn't want us then to live independently, even though we have to have a personal faith in him. He wants us to come together as 
people so that we can encourage each other to have that kind of faith too. And that maybe the faith that I'm demonstrating in my Jesus will start to light a fire in that kind of faith in your life. And then you will rub up against somebody else at work or at school or in your neighborhood or community where they see the kind of faith you're placing in your Jesus. And because of that, that kind of faith begins to become contagious and build up in them too. Paul said this principle. I shared it a couple Wednesday nights ago when we were talking about Elijah, where Paul said to the Philippians, don't be upset that I'm telling you I'm in prison. He said, do you realize that there are many brothers and sisters who are now becoming much more bold and confident to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because they saw what happened to me? In other words, basically, all these Christians were saying, Paul was willing to lay everything on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what am I doing? I'm I'm not out there being a bold, confident witness like Paul. No, I'm I'm not going down like that. If, If Paul's willing to throw it all on the line for Jesus Christ, then I need to be too. And Paul said, guess what? God began to use his life and his commitment and his devotion to begin to light a fire of faith in other Christians. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have, a contagious faith where other people can see that we need Jesus Christ and we're not ashamed to say we need Jesus Christ and that we're just resting in his word, trusting in what he said, placing our full confidence in him no matter what. And I guarantee you, When we as Christians live that way, God will set our life, like he said in his word, like a light on a hill, a city set on a hill, cannot be hid. And I will want your light to shine conspicuously so that I can draw others to your light. I believe that that's too what God is doing here at the Oasis Church. I think corporately God is saying, I want you all as a community of believers to be a light in this neighborhood and in this community. I want others to see your faith in me. And I'm going to start drawing people more and more to this place of worship because they need to be part of a group of people like you who have confident faith in me during these days in which we live. Jesus did this, verse 54 as his second miraculous sign when he returned from Judea to Galilee. Remember, a miraculous sign is that which points beyond itself to something greater. We are walking miracles, as I said last week. God wants to use our life to point beyond ourselves to someone greater, that people can see Jesus Christ in and through us, that they can see that we're not trusting in anything or anyone else. We are trusting in Jesus Christ, and we are taking him at his word, and we're going to go home every night, and we're going to lay our head on our pillow no matter what's happening in the world, and we're going to rest in Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's pray? God, I pray today that you would take this very simple message but God, that you would use it in a profound way in your people's lives. 
We might not be going through a great crisis like this man was, whose son was about to die and he had no hope and no help other than you, God. But we may still be experiencing some needs in our life. We may still have some kind of crisis going on in our life, God, and we need to remember that we need you, Jesus. And we need to be okay with declaring that we need you, Jesus, in our life. And God, would you help us, like this man, to believe in the word that you spoke to him. God, may we rest and trust in your words to us. May our faith become a confident faith. And may our faith become a contagious faith, a faith that others see in us that draw them to you, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.